So um, I felt, uh, felt compelled as I was thinking about what to talk about tonight to follow up on what I was talking about last week. And uh, I realized some of you weren't here, but the, the main points of it were, were this, that um, we need to see uh, and experience directly some highly conditioned tendencies that we're all caught in, the tendency to, to seek gratification through the senses, and the tendency to preoccupied with um, objects of the mind, objects of the body and the mind, sensations, feelings, and thoughts, um, as well as the conditions of our lives. And uh, together, these are the tendencies uh, that constitute our suffering. So, and then as I said, this, this constant seeking gratification through the senses, it really is coming from a deeply rooted bias in the mind. And the bias is towards uh, pleasure, stability, and some kind of control in our lives. Um, and um, it, yet, when you look at what the actual experience is, you know, sensory experience is by its nature uh, impermanent, unstable, <laughs> uh, unsatisfactory, and, and, and not given to uh, control of the self. So you can feel what's going on in these kinds of tendencies. There's a, there's a built-in conflict um, that not only ties up a tremendous amount of energy for us, but it's also doomed to failure <laughs> just by virtue of the conflict that's going on with it. So for, for all our efforts, it just seems that no matter what we do, we always come away from this kind of endeavor, this kind of enterprise, uh, feeling very unsatisfied. You know, it's like you never get the hit, you never win the prize, you never come away with some once and for all good feeling. Uh, there's always a, a movement and a change in what we're experiencing. And so then, really, with this uh, tendency as our standard operating procedure, we don't see how tangled up we are. <laughs> and so we, know, we fail to have the uh, opportunity or the experience to just step outside of it long enough to question if that kind of activity of body and mind actually serves us. You know, and that's the critical part, to be able to see whether um, it's doing what it says it's doing, <laughs> whether following this bidding is actually uh, bringing us to some kind of place of peace. So seen uh, in another way, as we were saying last week, um, you know, when we uh, tend to be preoccupied with the objects of the mind, with sensations, feelings, and thoughts, then, um, and also with the conditions of our lives, then what happens is our attention is all tied up in that kind of activity. It's all tied up in that uh, endeavor. And what uh, it, it tends to trigger in us a lot of reactive patterns around what our experience is. So these reactive patterns come up, and basically what happens is we set up housekeeping there. We kind of move in, you know, and that's basically where we live, in, in a highly uh, agitated state of reactivity to everything that's going on. And it, it's, it's, it's sad, and it's a shame in so many ways, because it's a very superficial way of relating to experience. And, and it's, you know, we're caught up in it and then trying to deal with it. And the whole activity of our lives is caught. And I sort of feel it as sort of like it's kind of an ozone layer. You know? And meanwhile, while we're all tied up with that kind of activity, then what's going on, what's actually happening in our lives is going on someplace else altogether. But that's not where we're living. You know? So it, it's, uh, it's wild to see it, and you know, there's a lot of practices beginning to, to open up to uh, what's actually going on with all this. So um, just contemplating this kind of uh, uh, dilemma that we find ourselves in as human beings, uh, it, it tends to bring up some questions, you know, at least it does in my mind. It's sort of like, if, if, that's, if that's the way it is, then how do we break out of it? How does one break out of it? What, are, what do I have to do to pull that breaking out off? You know? <laughs> what do I have to do to manage some way of relating to it all very differently? So tonight, that's what I'd like to look at, is this process of um, really um, letting go of a lot of useless habits and patterns of mind that, uh, that don't serve us. Um, and, and really, uh, what the Buddha is doing in all of our uh, teachings and practices is he's trying to encourage us to just really, as a first step even, to try to cultivate some semblance of non-attachment, 
some semblance of non-attachment in relation to it all. And, and then, in a way, he's saying, you know, and then uh, set up housekeeping there. <laughs> That's a much better place to live. Find this way of relating that is somewhat uh, uh, standing back from experience so that we can see what's going on with it. And, and the, the main vehicle for doing this is the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. You know, it, it, it's really laid out in perfect order in the Satipatthana Sutta. You know, it, what he's trying to do here is to help us to develop non-attachment. It, it's kind of like an invitation, if you will, just to, to be with sensations, feelings, and thoughts as they are. Just, just name and experience sensations, feelings, and thoughts and in a way, leave it at that. <laughs> Find a way to leave it at that instead of, mm, you know, that thing that comes in right after it and wants to do something with it, say something about it, get lost in it, wh- whatever their reactive pattern might be. And I, one of the things that I found really interesting over the years as I watch in, in my own practice is that you don't really have to know that this practice is about non-attachment for it to work. <laughs> You know, it's really interesting. You don't really have to know that. You, we don't really have to understand what non-attachment is, or if we even want it. <laughs> it's like, do I want to be non? Do I want non-attachment? I don't know. You know, you don't even have to really know that. We just have to follow directions that, that the Buddha is laying out in the sutta, and 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 try to discover for ourselves what it means to to let things be, to be with the body as the body to be with feelings as feelings, to be with the mind as the mind, to be with mental states as mental states. You know, what does that mean? And what is the experience of that? So for some time, you, you may not even understand what you're doing. And I think we just need to be honest about that and say that out front. You know, at least I, I find it really helpful when I sort of you know, just kind of the kind of realization in my own practice, like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. And I can remember times, you know, particularly early on, but it's not like you don't fall into it later on, years later, you know, where um, I, I would just sort of go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now, well, what am I doing? And what am I supposed to be doing? You know, and what am I supposed to be seeing? And why? Why am I looking? Again, somebody, somebody tell me, you know. <laughs> Those kind of moments would happen, you know. And instead of getting frustrated about it, just to be honest, you know. That's, I don't, I don't, it gets all so confused and so muddled sometimes. And, uh, but then I would just try my level best to do what the Buddha said. Just tr- try to be with sensation. Try to be with feelings. Try to, to be with uh, mental states. And, and really, to be honest, sometimes I would get so frustrated in this activity. That inside my head, I would scream, you know, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I can't find this way of being with sensation. What does that mean? Because the, the propensity, the, the habit of being so tangled with it and fighting it, resisting it, and wanting it to be some other way was so great. You know, that, that is so much the dominant feature of the experience that you know, it, it takes some time to find out what it means to, to stand back a little bit from it. You know, and I can remember one time I, I even yelled that as, at a teacher. I'm not saying do that with Andy and I, but, you know, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I can't, I, you know, you keep saying, be this way, be this way, be this way. I don't know what that is, you know. But it was real, and it was honest, you know. And, and it's, a, it's actually a, a really uh, useful part of practice, just to name it and, and say where we are. So I, I would just keep at it and keep trying to do my very best with it. And, and fortunately, I had a, like a good little girl kind of mode in my mind that was very strong. Oh, just do it. Just be a good little girl. Just follow the directions and do what they say. Because that actually serves you very well for a long time, you know. And, and just kind of uh, hoping against hope in, in the midst of all of this. That, 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 that the Buddha was on to something, you know, <laughs> and that he was right, and that in, in some way this was all leading somewhere 
and uh, I was going to arrive somehow at, at a place of more peace. You know, and, and I think that's just that kind of feeling, if you've had that in your practice, um, it, it really merits a moment's reflection. Because what it's pointing to is the tremendous amount of faith that uh, we're all operating with. Everybody in this room you know, has a marvelous, stupendous amount of faith operating. You know, when you think of all that we have suffered in this practice, and yet we keep coming back for more, you know? I once saw it as a, what I used to do when I, I'm a real, used to be a real roller coaster fan, you know? And I would stand in line for the roller coaster to, to begin and just go, ah, you know, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, I don't want to do it, I don't want to, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, you know? <laughs> just that kind of thing going on. And then, and then you'd do it. And, and, and when it would come around again, you'd say, could I go again? <laughs> could I do it again? <laughs> you know, that's kind of like what it is with practice. You know, it's like, ah, <laughs> it's so awful. Why do I want to spend seven days, 10 days, 100 days doing that, you know? But you do. I mean, what is that? <laughs> it, it really is a very powerful um, activity of faith in our lives. And really, notice it. You know, we really, I think there's a, some kind of karmic maturity that uh, has the understanding, enough understanding, even if it's not fully conscious, to turn to this practice and to apply ourselves within it. That's fabulous. So, you know, for, for a long time, you know, for many years and perhaps many lifetimes, you know, I don't know, um, what we do is we just keep catching ourselves caught up and then um, we let go. And then we catch ourselves caught up. And then we let go. And then we catch ourselves caught up. And then we let go. You know, and, and a couple of you were mentioning uh, this, that uh, really the, this was the, the bulk of your practice, just seeing the contracted states of being caught and trying to bring some semblance of release to those kinds of moments. And this is great. This is very, very good practice. That's what, that's all within the purview of trying to cultivate non-attachment. But what, and, and what happens sometimes is, you know, depending on the, the undercurrent state of the mind, is, is that, you know, seeing ourselves caught up, it, it can be accompanied by the occasional, <sighs> that exasperated feeling of, I'm doing it again. I'm caught up again. And very, you know, you can see, you can experience and get caught up in a lot of frustration. You know, how many times have you found yourself in that kind of state? Just caught up once again in some kind of persnickety little pattern, you know, one kind or another. And then um, just have to endure this exasperated feeling of, You know, I call that, uh, in my own practice, I, I call it kicking myself when I'm down. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm already suffering. <laughs> I'm already suffering from the grabbing and the preoccupation with what's going on. And, and then in comes this voice and goes, Poof! you know, just adds the old one, too, to the, to the final blow. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not very helpful. You know, one of my teachers says that these, these kinds of voices are, are, are not on your side. Don't listen to them, you know, the ones that are so exasperated and confused. But there's one, there's one way that it's good to listen. And, and, and this is kind of coming at that from another angle. It, it, sometimes those exasperated and, and frustrated voices are, are actually, well, they're always the voice of the pain we're in. That's what it feels like to be so caught up, you know. And and if it behooves us, you know, it behooves us to listen to those voices, especially if you can do it in a way that is very impartial, just to, to feel it. And don't be afraid to have a good cry about it, you know. How how many times do we do that? You know, Ajahn Chah even even said it. Uh, one time he was asked about working with difficult states, and you know his response was to to go and sit with it, 
And um, he said, when you do that, you'll be, you'll be, you'll experience times of great frustration, followed by release, and great frustration, followed by release. And he said, he even went so far as to say, if you haven't done this, you haven't begun to practice. <laughs> yeah. Like really, because it's honest, it's real, it's feeling what's going on. So over, over the months and years, you know, gradually you, you, you kind of lose those exasperated responses and, and you just automatically, uh, when you see you're caught up, you release. When you see you're caught up, when you release. It doesn't have all this extra fringe activity going on. You, know, these, you don't have the reaction to having seen that. You just do what needs to be done in the moment. And, you know, just a less or no self-criticism going on in that kind of moment. And I've experienced it sort of like, it's almost like a, a force field starts to develop around the reacting. Because you, you feel the pain of reacting to having grabbed. <laughs> and at least this layer of, of activity and suffering can be, is beginning to loosen up. You know, watch for it. I think, I'm sure you know what I mean. The, uh, the idea is to, to really feel that and notice that because this is, this is actually a sign that we're maturing in non-attachment. Are you able to let go without all the extra comments about having been caught up or how long you've been at it or you should be past this and all that kind of stuff? Yeah? Are you able to just let go? And, and get back to the, the center. So this is all, this is all really interesting. And, and it's actually um, how self-view is overcome as well. You know, uh, insight into self-view is, is, uh, is not some kind of big aha. I think a lot of people expect that. You know, we, we kind of expect a, a lightning bolt. And maybe because some things have been written about it like that, where all of a sudden, you know, one second you, you were a self and now you're a non-self. You know, <laughs> it just, boom, something happens and the, the whole thing releases and you're in, a, you're in a different state. But it hasn't been my experience, and certainly talking to other practitioners, it hasn't been our experience that it's like that. <laughs> you know, really what, what happens is that the, the movement towards um, relinquishing self-view, it, it happens very slowly and gradually, and it doesn't even have to be fully conscious. What happens is we just tend to start drifting away from all that reacting <laughs> and relating to what's going on. You know, the, the mind, in very subtle ways, it's sort of getting the, the pain that we're in by grabbing and it just starts to recede, withdraw from, the, from that kind of activity. So, so you may not even see it happen. It, it's quite subtle. But even in those moments when you still feel um, very tangled, I just want to reassure you that because you're meditating, that part of you is outside looking on. And enough of you is outside looking on to, for that to begin be making an impression. So, you know, that, that feeling of sort of being half looking and half not, it, it, it has a sort of a vagueness about it. And, and what I'm pointing to is that it, it, it may not fully register in the conscious mind, and yet the relinquishing is taking place at a very subtle level. We're feeling this. This whole system is designed, it's sensitized to feel pain and learn how to move away from it. So if you're feeling the pain of being caught in self-view, you're actually engaging that mechanism in the interest of your own liberation. Yeah, I trust that. I, I, I promise you. Even if you don't know it, that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah? You just have to really trust that. It, it slowly we're getting a, a bit more relaxed and a bit more impartial in relation to the whole thing. So just consider, you know, just um, being caught up in, in self-view, it's really no more 
We, we make it some crazy big idea, but it's no more than, than um, following the impulse to grab sensation, feelings, and thoughts. It's no more than that. And to, to relate to those from a place of some kind of self-concern. It's like, oh, that pain, oh, that feeling, oh, that mental state. It's me, and I don't like it. Oh, I do like it, or I want to get rid of it. You know, can you feel it? It's, it's, uh, it's just really that. That's all, that's all that he's talking about. It, you know, I experienced it one time. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like having somebody in your life who's just always talking. <laughs> and always like, like looking at the w- what's happening, the way you are, what's going on in your life, and making a problem out of it, and then telling you what you need to do to fix it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an annoying person to have in your life? <laughs> but that's we do have it in our life. It's just all internal. <laughs> but that's, how it, that's what's going on with it. So as we work with the four foundations of mindfulness, then um, this non-attachment grows. And you know, slowly but surely, you just learn not to listen to the chattering. You know, it's, it's like it can be going on. It's really interesting to, to realize that uh, once you start to wake up to it, one of the big tendencies I see over and over again with meditators is they try to make the chattering stop. And remember what we said, it's never the object that's the problem. <laughs> it's all the way that you're relating to it. So why would you think this is any different? This is the same thing. So you don't, don't, don't waste any energy or any time in trying to, to make the, the chattering stop. You just have to, to watch it and, and watch as it slowly dies, <laughs> you know? And just hope that you live long enough that you can hold the funeral for self-view. <laughs> that's, that's how it plays out. <laughs> so in the meantime, while you're waiting for it to die, you, know, you find different strategies to, to work within that, this whole purview of self-view. And, and just for dealing with the chattering, you know. I mean, I have, you, you, everybody has their own. I have some that I, find, I have found very helpful over the years. Like the one when I have a voice that's uh, kind of berating me or smacking me around in one way or another. I have this real kind of Elvis Presley voice that comes up and it goes, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I just try to hold it with a sense of humor, you know. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Yes, I hear you. <laughs> and, and just, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, I was telling somebody recently that um, sometimes what I do is, is just, uh, you know, yell back. It's like you've got to stand up to it, you know. It's like, you know, will you stop it? You're driving me crazy in here, you know. <laughs> You're just going on and on and on and on. These voices, I mean, sometimes they, you know, a friend of mine was telling me recently, she actually had a voice tell her, that um, she wasn't breathing right. <laughs> she says, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not biting on that one, you know. That's how, that's how we have to see it, you know. Just stand back enough and, and find some strategies to work with it. But don't take my word for it. I mean, look and see, you know. It, over time, we're getting better for this practice. And, and if uh, look and see, go back a few years and, and uh, evaluate. You know, even if at times where you still like, you feel like you're just still totally awash in delusion or, or ignorance. Um, notice, are you getting free of these tired, old, worn-out patterns and habits that aren't serving you? Are you getting free of them? You know, and and uh, some people will say, no, I don't think I am. <laughs> but I would, I would submit that if you think you're not, then one of two things is happening. You're either not looking well enough, you're not looking close enough, or you have a pattern of mind, like it's kind of a half-empty pattern of mind that you're not catching. You know, it's kind of a gloomy uh, state that 
is the screen through which you're observing things, you know. Because there's no question in my mind that um, we're all getting a lot more impartial and a lot more wise <laughs> through this practice as the months and years go by. So we've got um, developing non-attachment through the four foundations of mindfulness. Really understanding that. I think it's, for myself, in my own practice, things really began to take off when I contemplated what the Buddha was getting at with that sutta, you know, with that teaching, these instructions. What's he getting at? Just really know that for yourself so that you trust the process more. Even when it feels like everything's kind of gray and uh, vague, uh, you still have a lot of faith and you just keep, keep at it anyway. So you've got that practice that's helping us develop non-attachment. And, and you've got this gradual eroding of self-view that's taking place through that, whether you realize it or not. That's how it's happening. But there's a, there's a whole other aspect of it, a whole other way that we come at non-attachment and the development of that. And, and that's through the development of samadhi. And this is a, a key player in this whole process of waking up. We need a lot of stillness to see clearly. Uh, and otherwise, what happens if, you, if you're not established in some uh, posture uh, that's, that's relaxed and standing back a little bit from things or still in the presence of them, then you keep getting pulled in. You know, this is why samadhi is emphasized so, so much. And in fact, in the Satipatthana Sutta itself, the Buddha goes right for that at the very beginning where he, he says, you know, before he even outlines how to relate to the body and feelings and mental states, he says, you know, that you establish yourself in a, in a place of, you know, having uh, uh, put away covetousness and grief for the world, having put away the, the, the grabbing and the contracting, the resisting around things. And that's what's, that's, in that he's pointing to samadhi, it's not a full-blown, absorbed uh, state of samadhi, but it's, it's more like chitta-viveka, the quiet mind. The mind is, at least has established some semblance of peace so that, it can, um, that it's the environment in which non-attachment can take place. You know, can you feel that? You know, if, if we're uh, up too close, you can't... You, you just uh, you don't um, experience this kind of a chilled perspective. So we, we often think of samadhi as concentration, and and it, and it is. But um, I, I found it much more helpful to to think of it as relaxation, just really to give that um, its due. Um, uh, learning uh, about non-attachment involves. Um, pulling ourselves out, but it also involves cultivating a state where you don't spin out on something in the first place. Yeah? So there is the pulling ourselves out when we're caught up, but what about establishing ourselves in a state that um, doesn't even let that kind of thing happen? You know, because it, we're so calm, we're so relaxed in the presence of what's going on. So it's interesting just to consider these two uh, ingredients that are going on in here. So as, as we practice over the months and years, you become aware of how incredibly restless and, and anxious we tend to be. You know, just, uh, I was talking about this this morning, how um, much we experience anxiety and restlessness and agitation in the system on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-to-moment basis. You know, it's a lot. And once you become aware of this, I can remember the first time I really was sort of honestly acknowledging that in my life. You know, there's a lot of anxiety here. You're almost constantly in a kind of caffeinated, restless state, you know. Then what I did was just kind of respond to that with this. I just picked up a mantra that basically just kept repeating in my head, relax. Just relax, relax, relax. And I would do this in the most soothing and loving voice that I could find. 
You know, it's like, oh, poor baby, you're just so wired. Just relax, you know. Come on, honey, you can just relax, you know. You just really try to coax the mind uh, into a place of, of letting go from a very nurturing and loving place, like, oh, seeing the suffering and um, endeavoring to, to settle a little bit in the presence of it. And during this time, I also really discovered water, the value of water and immersing the body in water as a mechanism for easing the whole system. You know, it's it, it, restlessness and agitation is like, <laughs> the whole system is so tight, you know. So what you need is, is heat, hot heat, the fire element, and water. You know, it just, it just soothes the whole thing out. And so we would do that a lot, you know, just really try to um, find some semblance of relaxation. And I found this kind of thing very, very helpful. You know, so whatever, I mean, you, you're going to find the tricks in your tool bag that are going to work for you, but these are the kinds of things that have worked very much for me. And, and also, a, a long-time practice of mine, I've been sharing this with some of you, has, re, has been to um, be very careful how I start the day. So that you wake up, you're lying in bed, and here comes the, the annoying chattering bit, you know. <laughs> do this, do this, go here, good. what about this, what about that, you know, what about yesterday, what about tomorrow? You know, and just kind of, it starts instantly, instantly. And, uh, and so really making a very deliberate effort. Do not get up out of bed until you are settled completely in the body and embodied, <laughs> if you will, and not um, have the first thing that you do in the day uh, it, it be propelled into action by all these chattering voices. You know? Well, find a way to, to, to ignore them and to settle into the, the experience of the body and watch what happens. It's like I would watch, I watched one time, and it was almost as if there was this get up, don't want to get up, get up, don't want to get up battle going on. And, and I was, it was like I was feeling like one of those voices was right and one of those was going to win. And I was just kind of biding my time to see which way it was going to go, you know? <laughs> and, and the truth of the matter is you just got to turn away from the whole mess. It's not in either of those. Once you start following all of that, then we're, um, kind of, we kind of get into a groove of buying into all of that. But in the very first moment that we're awake, yeah. Just try and ignoring that and see what happens. <laughs> it's fascinating, really. <laughs> the body gets up. <laughs> it's the darndest thing. It just gets up and starts its day. And, and if you can keep that up and be there in the brushing of the teeth and the, having a wash and doing whatever you do, and really try to uh, stay with it fully from the very beginning, this can be enormously helpful. It's like you set the tone. You know, and sometimes I have to argue. It's like, look, shut up. I'm not taking any of your stuff today. We're going to do it this way, you know, and just kind of get in the body and stay there. <laughs> yeah? So that kind of thing can, can be helpful. Or something that I find very helpful in, a, in the moment is um, taking a, a very long, slow, and deep Inhale and exhale. Any moment when you, you feel like you're just, just all caught up and can't seem to get your head above water. Just do that. And it's, it's amazing how in the few seconds that it takes to do that, you can completely shift the inner terrain of the mind. Where from one moment you and then the next... Ah. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I remember this <laughs> being here. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just get back established in the in the moment. And what's what's really interesting about that as a practice is that over time, it really helps you to see how accessible that kind of peace is. It's always just like a breath away. 
It's always that accessible. We just have to remember to go there. Yeah? This is samadhi. This is remembering to establish ourselves in samadhi. One of the uh, monks in, in our, my, our lineage uh, describes uh, samadhi as an emotional development. You know, he says it's, it's the capacity to, to rest um, in an emotionally soothing place, just to be with life from that. I love that. I love that language and that, what that conjures up for me. It's very grounded. It's very comfortable. And, you know, it's a, it's a really helpful place to be. So relax. <laughs> relax. <laughs> Relax. And, and uh, you know, this teaching on samadhi, to see samadhi as, as relaxation, you know, sometimes it can put us at odds with other teachings that we've heard about what constitutes samadhi. Uh, it doesn't sound like the instruction, for example, to uh, develop laser-sharp precision one-pointedness, you know. It doesn't sound like that kind of definition of concentration. But I I would invite you to just um, try really relaxing and see what happens when you can do that. Just see how you're able to see when you can do that. And uh, you you can feel so grounded in that state that um, it's, it's very possible and very, uh, one is very capable of seeing what is going on from moment to moment in a very one-pointed way. <laughs> it's, uh, we're not talking about something different here. It's not like there's that kind of samadhi and this kind of samadhi. It's the same thing. It's just that I, I think that this talking about it as relaxation instead of concentration, it seems to speak to something, uh, a way that Westerners get this. <laughs> We're looking at an experience. We want to find an experience of being at peace in the presence of what's going on. And, um, you know, we don't have a lot of that. Westerners just seem to pick up consistently. I mean, it's not across the board, but pick up this idea of concentration and actually get more stirred up (laughs) trying to do it instead of getting uh, more at peace. Yeah? So if that's, a, I mean, just offer this. If that's a, the case for you, then, then try, try this. Try looking at it this way. It's, uh, it really um, can shift uh, one's experience completely. So uh, samadhi helps us stand back and really relax uh, in the presence of things. That's what it's about. And if you can feel that, you, you, you're, you're kind of right there in how it is that it's so correlated with non-attachment. It's not, you know, it's not different. It, or it's, let's say it's a key player or a key support in that process of experiencing non-attachment. So then... Uh, finally, at this, um, all of this is, is good in itself. You know, the experience of, of non-attachment, the capacity to let go, the capacity uh, to relax a little bit is great in and of itself. You know, and a lot of practice is just getting to the place where we, we have cultivated this capacity. You know, we, 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 and then we greet life from a lot more um, chilled perspective, a chilled vantage point. You know, as you get less and less drawn in uh, to sensory gratification, as you're able to be less and less preoccupied with the objects of the mind, as you're actually getting quieter through the experience of samadhi, and um, relate, learning to uh, relate uh, in a less and less self-absorbed way, <laughs> you know, then, then what, uh, what happens then is that, and this is the, the, the miracle of mindfulness and insight, is that you, you're positioned in a way to scrutinize experience in a way that you just were not before. You can, we cannot scrutinize experience when we're completely entangled 
in fighting, resisting, and longing in relation to it, or one way or another of reacting to it. So the whole, the whole process then, in a way, is um, just establishing non-attachment and samadhi is all kind of like a setup, you know. It's setting us up. The Buddha is a great manipulator. You know, he's just setting us up for um, an onlooking that begins to sort out what experience even is, the deeper realities that are driving actions. So just, just to back up for a second, because this, this idea of non-attachment, it, 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 you know, it really helped me one time when I began to realize that there was a paradox here. Because a, a lot of people, when they talk about non-attachment, they, it, it, they seem to be, think that we're talking about something that is, um, oh, you know, like, I'm not attached, I'm cool, I'm not attached. Or like, like you know, I'm not, there's, a, there's a non-connecting in it, in it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not stirred up. I'm not excited. I'm not, I'm not attached. But really, what non-attachment does, and this, this takes some looking to see, it, it, it actually, it puts us in a relationship, or it, by, by losing the relating to an experience, to what we're experiencing, it actually puts us in the experience more directly and fully than we have ever been. So what you're, what you're not attached to is the relating, the reacting, the having something to say, the grabbing, all of the, all of the ways that we relate to experience. So when, that's, when you drop that, then you're so fully and directly in experience that you're able to say what that experience is and to scrutinize its nature. So that's what it's, that's what it's all leading to. <laughs> And it's a paradox, you know. Maybe the word non-attachment isn't the best word for it, but it seems to connote what's going on, at least in the early part of it. But once we arrive at it, it's more, it, it might be more accurately called direct experience, direct knowledge, being in the now or something like that. I don't know. But that's what it affects. That's what it affects. So with this practice, what we do is we end up in a place of, of profound presence of mind and presence of body. Yeah? And now, from within that, then we're well positioned for insight. And what we begin to see is how a craving, an attachment, and even self-view, how, how all of these are being born out of not being with things that are impermanent, unsatisfactory and impersonal. <laughs> Not being able to open to these realities. You know? This is deep stuff. <laughs> you know, just ask yourselves, watch. Why do you cling? Why do you long for things? You know, at some deep level, we haven't opened to impermanence. Yeah? Why do, you, why do we hate? Why do we resist? At some deep level, we haven't opened to unsatisfactoriness, to dukkha. If you open to it, then when things are all a mess, you know, when everything hurts and people don't treat us right, it's normal. You know? <laughs> it just becomes in the realm of normal. And so there's nothing to hate. There's nothing to resist. There's nothing to want to have it be some other way. You know, or why are, we, why are we slothful? Why are we slothful? Because we don't want to face these realities. That's that, what I was talking about this morning. I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know that it's like this. At, at a very deep level, that's what's happening. Why are we anxious? Why do we get restless and agitated, you know? We, we haven't opened to the unsatisfactory, uncertain, and impersonal nature of it all at some level. You know, or why, why do we get confused and, and filled with doubt? Because we haven't seen how much, how very much we want to be on top of things <laughs> and in control. Or, or we haven't really um, 
made peace with not knowing. You know, that, that feeling of just not knowing. And yet, that's where we are all the time, but we haven't made peace with it. <laughs> we haven't accepted it. We haven't seen it, you know. Or, or the big one for me, and this was a powerful realization for me, I haven't made peace with the extent of my own ignorance. You know? That's what's driving all of this. And we've got to see it and feel it and go, oh. <laughs> it kind of has to get to that place, you know, where you're not only not quarreling with it, you completely receive it and, and acknowledge it so that you can at least get to the baseline where you, you have some understanding of why you're even practicing and why you're even suffering. So, you know, without insight into the, the three characteristics, then, you know, it, well, you just look and see. I mean, the, the hindrances are our standard operating procedure. That's, the, that's how we operate, because we don't, we don't get these things. So I think that the, the Buddhist uh, teachings and, and practices really uh, propose an, an interesting question for us to, to contemplate. You know, what if, just what if, all of our suffering and, and all of our experiences of the hindrances and all of these difficult states of mind is just rooted in not wanting to touch impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. Just deeply rooted in, in that. And basically what the Buddhist practice is doing is it's asking us to touch these. It's inviting us, you know, <laughs> come and see, feel these know these realities from from deep within the experience of them. And what compounds it is that we're also being asked to touch and open to the helplessness that we feel in the presence of that. Really go all the way. And when you touch this, it's like, yikes. You You watch the mind go bonkers. And, you know, how, how deeply we do not want these realities to be true. I want it to be nice all the time. I want it to always be the same and comfortable and easy and everything comes out okay. And I want it to go the way I want it to go, you know. Can you feel it? It's like that's underneath all of this. And really, this is why self-view exists. It's a, it's a defense mechanism against impermanent suffering and non-self. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. And, and then we can dance around in some superficial ozone layer <laughs> and call it life, you know? And, and the Buddha is encouraging us in, in no uncertain terms, I think, to, to, to go to a place where you can really, really be here and really, in a way, enjoy life on its terms. This is the way it is. Helpless, vulnerable, totally open in the presence of that. Nothing to be done. <laughs> there is no defense against Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. There's no defense. <laughs> you don't really want to go there, but that's, what, that's where we're going, whether we know it or not. You know, we're, we're very vulnerable, and we always have been. And a lot of this, all of these other activities of, of, of grabbing and resisting and holding on and all of that are just um, kind of like smoke screens being set up to offset the possibility of seeing the, the truth underneath it all. So over time, we, we come to the, the, the realization that, um, this is how I see it, it, just, it, you sort of start to get the feeling, that opening to the vulnerability. You, you sort of feel it, and maybe this is what happened when we stood upright, you know, <laughs> exposing the heart to the world, you know, <laughs> just completely open uh, to our vulnerability is way better, way better than brandishing a sword. And, you know, 
dealing with life uh, in these more contracted ways. You know, it's way better than putting up the smoke screens of ignorance and self-view. It's a little scary, but you get used to it. And it's, it's, a, it's a really a, a much better place to, to be living life from. You know, what, what one finds over the years is that it's just, it, it's just better to say yes <laughs> instead of always saying no and fighting and resisting and quarreling with it all. And, you know, just invite us to reflect on this because uh, whether we know it or not, this is actually what's going on in our practice. It's this whole process of learning about non-attachment, learning about relaxing in the presence of things, letting self-view run its course, you know, just letting it die a natural death and, and watching it die and, and, and being okay with that, feeling the, uh, the freedom that it actually gives us. And, and daring to, to touch these um, realities that the Buddha so clearly saw and, and passed on to us so that we can um, actually be here you know, and, and, and live life. Uh, and develop in a way that is optimally human become the best human being that one can be. (laughs) That's really what it's all about. Okay? So I'll offer these thoughts for your reflection tonight. I hope it's useful. So would you like to close with a song? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.